Welcome to the Digital Leaders Podcast. My name is Fabian Tausch and today it's a bit about a special topic. Of course, I have an interview guest and I will introduce her to you in a second. But it's a topic that I really love about uh, to talk about and to, to learn about because at one point I thought that learning ends after school or university, but I was very close-minded and really thought, okay, I should know everything I need to know. Now I can work with the knowledge that I have. Of course, that's stupid. That's not how it works. And that's why I invited somebody who's very focused on professional growth and personal growth. And Clarissa Shen is the COO of Udacity back then when we did the interview. She's now not at Udacity anymore, but she is, or she was very open about how they approach professional gro professional growth, how they ensure quality when they offer courses and nano degrees, and also why it's so important to grow on a constant level and never stop learning because of one point of course and we now see it every time and all day long the world changes and it changes quicker and quicker and we have to learn new things new skills new applications we need to get to know software and everything else um, to be relevant as um, a person and to know stuff that's relevant for our company no matter if you're a founder or an employee or a freelancer or anything else and that's why i was more than happy to to have her on the podcast and to talk about professional growth and how udacity is tackling this problem and topic and um, they're working with a lot of great companies like the best and the most relevant companies in the world they use udacity for their employees as well so um You should definitely stick to this episode and um, learn a lot about how and why to do it and maybe how you can use it for your company as well. But first, I need to introduce a sponsor. Today's sponsor is Cefdesk. Cefdesk is a cloud-based accounting software and I use it for one and a half years now and I write offers, invoices, keep track of all the taxes I need to pay and how much uh, money is really in my bank account and I do not owe to the tax department and the great thing about Cefdesk is that accounting becomes quite easy it's cool as I mentioned because you can automate processes like offers invoices taxes and all the things you need to prepare for your tax department or for your tax consultant depends on how you're handling it you have integrated online banking and you have the opportunity to really see everything and you have some artificial intelligence that recognizes all the invoices that you put in your physical ones that you create a photo of and upload it and then everything is in one place and I'm, I'm really thankful that they approached me because I always love to work with brands that I know and that I use and I just didn't need to think about it. Because 
it's of course very hard today to see in the influencer marketing world is somebody really using the product isn't he and i use it for two or three companies now so i use it for two and i plan to use it for the third one as well and that's why i will feel that's why i feel quite comfortable to use or invite Cefdesk as a sponsor they now serve nearly a hundred thousand customers and what they offer for listeners of the digital leaders podcast is 25% off for the first three months. So if you think that accounting is hard, tough, a lot of paperwork, just making you crazy, and you want to optimize some accounting processes or nearly everything, and you're looking for a tool, you should definitely try out Cefdesk. So the first month, I think you can, or the first 14 days, you can try for free. And then you can use the coupon code DIGITALLEADERS25 and I will link down below the website where you can use it. And then you have 25% off for the first three months. The code is valid for till the end of 2019, so till the 31st of December. And as mentioned, I'm using it. I'm very much a fan. I really appreciate it. My tax consultant loves it because it eases up a lot of processes and for me it's one of the best software as a service tools that i could use of course there's some other stuff like slack and other software tools that uh, i use as well but this is my only accounting software tool i really love it i would recommend it if you would ask me so that's why i'm also happy and thankful for Cefdesk. go check it out you have all the information linked below in the description as well and Let's get started with the interview. So, welcome to the next interview. And today we are sitting at the next web, and I met Clarissa Shen from Udacity. She's the Chief Operation Officer at Udacity, and Udacity is focusing on online education for professional growth. And so, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Thanks for attending. So, um, really appreciate your time. Um, at Udacity, as I said or mentioned, you focus on professional growth and you also select the topics where you obviously do the online courses for. Where, what, is, what is it that makes online education for employees so attractive for companies? Yeah, I mean, we are ultimately in some ways built by and for industry and companies. And it's because from our earliest days, um, and we started in kind of in our backyard in Silicon Valley, right? The large companies, you would think that Google, Facebook, Amazon, IBM, they don't have a problem finding talent. But it turns out talent is in high demand in a couple of areas that are growing. And it's really, really hard for universities one to keep up with that because um, they don't you know, the way universities work, it's about critical thinking, foundations, research, and that takes time. Um, and companies are eager in many ways to keep up with technology change. It's been found, at least in Silicon Valley, people are changing jobs. And it doesn't mean you're moving companies, but even within your own role, every 10 to 18 months, your role actually changes because technology is changing. And so for enterprises that want to keep up and want to be competitive in these areas, it's a, it's a really, it's a big pain point. Um, and so from our earliest days, when we've, we've always worked very closely with companies to say, okay, what are your most in-demand skills? What are your most in-demand jobs? How do we help 
whether it's their own employees, get skilled up or help students get ready for this so they can get these jobs that are in high demand. Um, so we've always been kind of designing with companies in mind um, because we know they have this big big need to, to keep up. So you decide uh, on future topics because you collaborate with uh, companies? Yes. The companies tell us, literally, um, and we have industry advisory boards for several different areas now. Um, so whether it's in our kind of school of AI, our school of data, we have web development, mobile development, um, we have autonomous technology, and we have kind of a school of business, which is more a, a tech take on what business is. Um, in all of those areas, we have industry partners and experts who tell us on a regular basis what's coming next, what are the biggest trends. We look at data together on where job demand is, and that's where we build our curriculum. The interesting thing is I could uh, see myself doing a Udacity course um, one and a half years ago if I would have known uh, of it because mm -hmm. I just realized or uh, get to know Udacity when I moved to Berlin in July last year, but I was not satisfied with um, with uh, university. So I dropped out after four weeks because I decided that's not a program I want to take and I do not see the value of doing it. And it was very interesting to me because I'm in Germany and yeah. everything is about certif certificates yeah. that it's changing from offline to online education also for uh, companies and that they are realizing to really go into it when did you see this change happen and what do you think is the the main factor that it works like that I will say I mean obviously we started in 2011 and it kind of started with a bit of a an accident, if you will, and we saw the potential already then. So our founder, Sebastian Thrun, um, he is and was um, a professor at Stanford and teaching in the Stanford Master's um, Artificial Intelligence Program. Um, at the same time, you know, he had been working at Google. He was the founder of Google X. Um, you know, he's known as kind of the godfather of self-driving cars, right? So someone who's at least in those circles pretty well known. And um, when he put his AI class online, just as an experiment, that was when we had over 160,000 people sign up for it, which is, in the world today, you could, you know, there's different numbers out there, but there's only about 30,000 or 40,000 people who work in AI. Um, so 160,000 back in 2011 of people interested in this topic was, was un, unheard of. And more interestingly, that program that they offered um, ended up with about 24,000 graduates, And that was because it was taught uh, at the same time that he was teaching at Stanford. He had his Stanford students taking it. There, that those 24,000 students, you know, and they graduated. And it was not like even a, you know, a, a physical certificate, but literally that they could point to the fact that they have proof that they were able to complete the Stanford master's level AI class. So many of the students got incredible job opportunities even from very non-traditional backgrounds, right? And that for us was a big moment of like, oh, wow, there's something here. And Sebastian, he said he founded Udacity really coming out of that because of the stories of the students, right? Um, it was amazing stories we had of students who, you know, you think, okay, Stanford students, best and brightest. The top Stanford student who's taking exact same class as all those students from around the world was like number 412 when he stack ranked them. The other 400-some students, some, yes, had some computer science background, but others were really non-traditional students. We had 
you know, a, a mother who wrote in and said, look, I had to drop out of school because I became pregnant. But I have always known that I have a very strong mind. I have a strong will to learn. And my kids are getting older and I need to prove to myself that I am relevant and that I have a future career opportunity. Um, it was a student who wrote in and said I had to drop out of school because, you know, I got sick. And my body is not that healthy, but my mind is still very healthy. And how do you allow for someone to learn like that? It's the people who are working and saying, I can't take time off from work. I have a family to feed. I have to provide for them. And I need something flexible that allows me to learn online. We had a soldier who wrote in and at that time. There was um, you know, the, the war that was going on in Afghanistan. And he said, look, I'm right now in this war, but this is not my career. Right. I want to believe there's a future career for me. So anytime I can get, you know, back online, I'm doing my assignments because this allows me in another option. So for us, that was a moment of saying, okay, this online learning and this hands-on learning that we do is providing options for students in ways that traditional education cannot. Um, and since then, I mean, we've grown to, we've had over 8 million students come through Udacity now. And our alumni, we have over 40, 40, 50,000 alumni in our um, community. And uh, they, they are the ones that we look at in terms of what they've been able to achieve to say, okay, there is absolutely value in this kind of online learning world. I will say, you know, if you go back to online learning, it's actually not that new, right? It's been around for 15, 20 years, um, arguably the biggest source of online learning is the internet, just period, right? You can go on YouTube, watch all sorts of videos. You can go on Wikipedia and read all these things. What has differed now is what's possible also with technology and why our nanodegree certificates have this kind of credibility and value behind it that companies recognize is because it is so much more with broadband access now with, with the kind of technology we can build into our classroom you can actually allow students to not just read and passively learn and watch content, um, but that they can actually do online. So if you imagine, like, it's so hard for everyone to get a GPU processor or to get the kind of environments um, set up, now we just do that in our classrooms, right? So many more people can actually get hands-on and build real projects, real applications, and that is what be, is behind our certification, right? That you can actually have the competency. It's not that you can take a test, that you've, you know, watched hundreds of videos and that's your certificate, right? It's that you actually can build and do something. And I think the value of that, that's why companies are recognizing it, why more and more industry people come to us, not just to hire our students, but actually to train um, their employees as well. Because behind that is is this kind of applied learning um, that is very, very tangible, that is actually working on real life projects. Um, and I think that's what's, that's what's changed, right? Even technology itself and what's possible has changed. You mentioned that you are asking questions or um, also tasks that where students have to complete mm -hmm. them first in a... Um, Yeah, like physical way, mm -hmm. but I think programmatic, yes. physical, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like they have to, a task to complete. Um, but And then they can prove that they learned something. Yes. But I think one question that might be, in the, might be uh, up or open is like, how do you guarantee that, that what the people learn is really the level? Yeah, at the, the standard, yeah. yeah. So we've set a, a standard and a rubric that 
is actually evaluated together with our industry partners. So that rubric of what people need to be able to do, literally, you know, in our Android program, for example, that's set by Google. It's at the standard that they expect their Android developers to be able to achieve. We use that rubric in how we assess the projects. So every single project that our student builds is submitted into our system, and we literally code review it. Right, Line by line, we code review, and it has to show us not just that it works, but it, it's written in a certain way that it shows certain kind of understanding that the app that they've built can allow multi-users and scale and has data um, you know, inherently built into it. All of that is actually we take that whole project and we have you know, line by line looked at the quality of it in order to say, yes, this person passes. So I think that's what I was alluding to when you know, I said it's not just, you know, in many other platforms, you can watch a lot of content, you can take a test and, you know, you write A, B, and C, check off multiple choice, or you put in something. It turns out when you're on the job, you're not taking tests, right? So you could argue that in some settings, you're learning a great test-taking skill, but are you learning what it takes to be successful at work? And so when we're looking at it, we're looking at the projects line by line by code review to then say, okay, that's it's met the standard that we would expect to see this kind of code, this kind of working um, knowledge that you would see in any any project that's being, or code that's being shipped from um, some of the leading tech giants. Okay, I think that's a very, very important side note for everybody who yeah. does not know why your standards are that high and why they should trust your certificates and your, yeah. your courses. I mean, we have to hold ourselves to that standard because ultimately the companies trust us in terms of helping find talent. Um, and I know that's hard, right? That's why um, we have mentors, right? We have experts and residents that students can go to. We have a forum because learning these skills is hard. Um, it's, not, it's not something that you can just kind of sit back and do, right? And, and learn, like by, learn by watching videos or whatever it is. Um, it is hard. You're, you're going to kind of sweat a little bit too, but we want to be there every step of the way um, as you're as you're learning, as you're working through it, and that's why we have a whole services team that is there to provide mentorship, to provide these code reviews, to provide these, you know, office hours essentially um, to to meet with students and help them. Thank you for sharing. Um, the next question I would love to ask is: You mentioned that. Out of the students taking your courses, companies came also and stopped by and said, hey, we want to uh, educate our employees. Yeah. But the first question a corporate leader or a company leader might ask is, how do I integrate the educational time into my, my schedule? So what are, what are uh, actual clients doing with that? I think there's a couple different models, right? Um, and I will say there's this kind of quote that goes around from like... Um, I don't know where it comes from, but HR leaders saying, oh, what if we train our people and provide the time and, and then they leave? And the CEO, CEO answer is, what if we don't train them? What happens, right? You want, if you want to be competitive um, at the C level, at the management level, people are more and more recognizing this is part of your competitive edge. You have to invest in your people. And it turns out investing in your people actually retains them better um, and allows you to be a lot more competitive. So we have companies like AT&T and these large companies where they're making it part of just their offer for employees. And they've made it very explicit where they've said, hey, you know, 
we're giving you these opportunities, we're paying for it, but we expect certain things. Um, at other companies like GE, they're selecting their high potential people. So as part of your kind of promotion track, you're expected to complete certain kind of learning and nano degrees. Um, and then we have partners like Mercedes-Benz, where they've essentially run kind of a boot camp model where, you know, once a week they set aside time where people can come in together and learn and have a facilitated kind of session. Um, so it really depends on the different companies how you make time. So whether it's this once a week you come have people come in, whether it's, well, at Infosys they run a whole boot camp. They literally selected, um, you know, a thousand of their top engineers and sent them off for like six weeks to do training with us. And it was very, very intense. Um, or their programs like, you know, as I mentioned, ATTG, where it's just kind of, well, it's an expectation and we're paying for it and we will track it. And what it means is, you just won't get to work on new projects until you're done. It's up to you in this next six, six months to make progress, right? Um, so it depends on the programs. So some are more flexible like that, and some are as intense as, I think, emphasis having people literally, you know, come to school, right, for six weeks and do it. Um, so I think it depends, depends on the, the company. Um, but I think the shared commonality that they have is a recognition that this is something that they're willing to literally invest invest in, right, both from a money but also really time standpoint um, and carving that out as something explicit with their employees. So if I would have to quote you, I would say you have to find time for your employees to develop further for professional growth, but it's up to you as a company company leader that you decide which model fits best. Yes, and there's a couple of different ways that you can do this, right, like the whole Uh, amazing thing about online is you can be somewhat flexible, right? And we have designed this program together with industry leaders in a couple of different ways to meet their needs. Um, but the curriculum is at the same standard. The kind of projects and skill sets come, you know, is, is at the same standards. Um, and I will say, I think there's so much talk now about the future of work and the future of tech and our jobs coming or going. The reality is it's not so much you know, jobs are being taken away by machines is that jobs are just changing because of technology. And so in that change, I do think there's a responsibility for industry just as you're changing things to help bring many more people along. Um, there was a really interesting quote um, that I heard from, uh, I think from someone in, in the sort of a the Dutch sort of um, policy uh, government side where they were talking about it as, you know, there's a responsibility of not so much protecting jobs, um, but protecting workers. And that means helping to educate them so that they can, you know, participate and come along in this new economy, right? We don't want to leave people behind. And it turns out companies benefit from that because the more people you have who are future ready, the more competitive you are in these areas are, are creating, you know, new, new economies. Let's say I want to educate my people and you already mentioned your courses in the beginning, but what do you think um, already, or also you meant, yeah, you launched a new course today as we are here yeah, at the, yeah. the next web. So data science, yeah, yes. data science. So yeah. what are you focusing on? What should I as a company leader should focus on? Where are the fields that I have to develop further that I stay competitive? I think it depends on the company, right? To be honest, there's just different industries have different um, needs. But I will say, I mean, there's a reason why we launched data science today is because it's a 
underlying need for almost every single industry that we know. Everything is so much more data driven, right? 75 billion connected devices in the world by 2025, right? It, it is one of those areas where just all the data that's available and every single company has that. How do you actually process that? How do you bring it in? How do you ask the right questions? So I I know that our data programs are in high, high demand, not just our data science program, but we have like a data analyst program. We have a business analyst program. All of those programs see high demand. The other areas that I know we see a lot of interest in um, is AI. I mean, this just, with what's possible now with computing, um, AI is something that I think a lot of people are scared of, but all the more so that you need to better understand it. Um, and all the more so that you need to get ahead of it, right? Um, and so we see a lot, at least in the very tech-oriented um, industries, everyone is looking for AI skills. And there's a huge, huge shortage of people who, who have that kind of background. Um, and then I think, I mean, the car makers here um, that we work with a lot, um, a lot of them are looking at the kind of autonomous technologies, um, robotics, um, those kind of areas have been in high demand in those very specific, more manufacturing industri industries. What we already mentioned is that, like, or what I saw today at the talk as well as, like, the list of companies you're working with. Yeah. But I think there is another huge list of co companies that are not working with you at the moment. Where is the first step for those companies to really realize that, that online education for professional growth is really an opportunity mm -hmm. and not just some woohoo stuff? So we actually, in our enterprise um, side of things, we provide assessments as well. So we literally say, look, we know it can be hard to understand where to start and what the gaps are. We actually have assessments that we provide for free to these companies and say, hey, well, take the workforce that you think is impacted mo most, run some assessments just to see what the gap is. So it's like a gap analysis, right? Then you can prioritize better, again, being data-driven, to prioritize better where you should be investing. Like, where are you behind compared to your peers, compared to industry? Um, where are your workers in terms of their skill sets? Um, so we've done that as one way for them to get started. It's just, hey, if you want to know where your gaps are, let us help you assess, um, assess that. So that's been one way. And then the other is literally we spend time consulting, right, a little bit with them on what are their needs, how do we map against their needs, how do we map our curriculum against um, where they want to be making investments. Very interesting. Um, I wanted to ask, as I'm coming from a interviewing a startup background, yeah. I just want to bring it in. As we talked about a lot about uh, innovation and also um, being future ready. Yeah. As you're the COO of Udacity, where do you think, or no, not think, what are you focusing on to develop Udacity further that yeah. you just don't stay Udacity as you are today? Yeah, I mean, I think I alluded to some of that as yeah. well in the talk, right? Um, we don't just teach these things. We use these things internally at Udacity as well. And one of the things, as at least as COO, my biggest job and my something that keeps me up at night a lot is just our culture, right? Um I want us never to be complacent, right? There's so much 
to do, and in many ways, we're just getting started. We're a startup as well. We're you know six, seven years now, but we're still a startup. And that means we have so much still to build and to learn. And we certainly use data science internally to look at that too, right? So the examples I gave of we evaluate every single lesson, everything we're publishing, to see if it meets certain qualities and to see you know if students are getting what they need out of it. And then we feed it back and it's a living, breathing curriculum that gets updated. Our services as well, we look at it from you know, the machine learning models we've built to say, hey, are students succeeding? Can we predict how successful they will be? And then for those that, you know, we can forecast that they're already, that they're potentially going to struggle, we proactively reach out and make sure that they get the support and make sure that, you know, we match them up either with the right content, we match them up by, with the right mentors so that they can change their trajectory. And guess what? It works, right? Like data, data actually works, like looking at that. And, and then really putting the resources in the right places. So we've been continuously investing in that front. Um, we have a whole team that all they do is services and focusing on how to improve our services, how to scale our services. And sometimes it means like when things are, even if they're working, when things don't seem to be scaling, even if it works, we will break it so that we can build something better. Um, something that can be more scalable, globally available, um, and impact many more students. So we have to continue to do that and and almost hold ourselves, you know, to that same standard. So what you're also saying, if I just put it into perspective for company leader, is that you're focusing on uh, using the data even more to really tell me which employee is good at something, like the best uh, of my team, for example, that I can also rate on skills and not just on, hey, he has a certificate? Yeah, absolutely. Our certificates, ultimately, I know they're important for our students um, as signals in the market, but we see those as just one outcome of the more important input, which is learning, right, and competencies. Um, so for us, we focus so much on those skills and those services and evaluating and providing feedback because I think that's the, that's the part of learning that is active, right? Um, and then the, the certificate should just be a natural result of that and maybe somewhat the least important of, of what you graduate with. Um, in fact, we encourage our students to talk about their portfolio more than talk about their certificate because as you're learning, you're building a portfolio of projects that is super impressive, right? So showcase your actual work, showcase your portfolio, um, that's actually what's behind your nano degree. The interesting thing is that you showed a map where students are um, living. And I was thinking of, of course, California, Silicon Valley, yeah. Europe, but then India and South America were really, really yeah. strong. Yeah. So is it that you are, that the barrier, barriers of for normal education are higher there and that's the reason why they come to you? Or what do you think is the... Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think in every geography, there's different kind of dynamics, right? Um, for one, I mean, I think in, in countries like India and China, where we have a lot of students, it's because those markets are hugely competitive and very much driven by tech. And so there's almost like a culture already where people know you want to get ready and you want to prepare yourself, you want to be future-proof um, because it's so competitive to, to get jobs. 
Um, in other areas, I think Brazil and these other places is because people are seeing this is the sector that is growing. This is the sector that has most stability and career opportunity in the future. Um, I, mean, I think Brazil's gone through several ups and downs in their economy, but the bright spot has been tech. Um, and that's where a lot of growth is. Um, and, and and I think it's, it's just different, different countries have different barriers. In the U.S., barriers are costs, but the barriers are getting into schools, right? There are admissions policies. In the U.S., you have to pay, and there's a lot of student loan and student debt that can happen. I know that university tuition here in Europe a lot of times is free, um, so it's a different kind of barrier. And I think what happens here is more about how do you make time for it? How does it fit into your life, right? How do you, how are you thinking about the future and does your, does your employer support it? Um, so it's, it's very different kind of dynamics in every different market. One question that's in, that interests me um, as an outcome of uh, this uh, topic, do the people that are living in India, Brazil, or anywhere else move to um, the spots like the US or Europe when they have your certificates and If so, are the chances higher to get a job then? So that's a good question. We should look at the data. I don't know, um, to be very honest. Um, and to be honest, I would expect that it's less about moving geographies and more about local opportunities because these jobs are in demand locally in many, many places. Um, it's also, I mean, to just be frank, U.S. right now is not the easiest place, even if you get a job offer, to move to with visa, right? Um, we've tried to move people to Udacity in the U.S., and we are not successful getting visas for them, right? So I think there's other geopolitical factors that we can't control that, that has some barriers there. Having said that, I mean, there's a pilot right now in New Zealand where New Zealand government has recognized um, – our self-driving car nanodegree program as equivalent to a master's degree program. And they've given it essentially accreditation equivalent. Um, and there, because it has that credit equivalency, they're able to issue what they call tech visas for any graduates at that program to move and immigrate to New Zealand to work. And so that's the first pilot that we've seen globally where it's that explicit, where they're trying to attract certain kind of talent and they're allowing you know, v special visas to be issued um, for graduates. But by and large, I think that's an exception. I think most countries, most industries are so, uh, there's so much demand just locally um, that that's not necessary. And for families and for students, especially with families, right, like to make a decision to move your whole family, that's a, that's a huge barrier. Um, so I think most people still tend to look you know, within certain geographical bounds and not so much cross-geo cross, cross geo just yet. So just the knowledge in the local areas rises and they have higher standards of yeah. people there. That's yeah. I mean, I know that there are tech companies who do move people around and that's 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 great, but I think those are very specific to their, their companies. Um, that's not, we haven't looked at that. It's partly not. was not just so out, of, out of yeah, curiosity. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious, actually. Um, I would imagine that changes over time just because of there's going to be changing factors, right, that 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 are outside of companies' controls um, that will influence. 
Thank you so much for your point on um, online education for companies. I think it's a really, really huge factor and so many more companies should use it. So if anybody is interested, I will... Uh, let them know. Thank you. Thank you so much. Know. And uh, I will put everything in the description for Udacity of the courses, etc. Okay. And uh, maybe I'll also find a, a version of your talk that I could put there because <laughs> okay, I think it was sure. a great one. Wonderful. So, Thank you very much for your time. Thank uh, you. It was a really good uh, talk. It was great to meet. And um, yeah, so I wish you a great stay at TNW yeah. for the rest of... Enjoy the, the rest of next web. <laughs> It's fun. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. Thank you very much for listening. And I really love talking to Clarissa because we were at the next web and uh, it was a cool setting. I heard her talk and... It was just an interesting topic. As I mentioned in the beginning, I had one point in my life where I thought, oh, learning will stop. And now my mindset completely changed. And I hope that you are, you, you never thought that learning will stop. But it's interesting that I even had the opportunity to think about stuff like this uh, in my closed mind. And... It's, it's just hilarious. It should be so obvious that learning never stops. And I think it's so important to understand how and why we can implement constant learning into your, our life, but also ensure for companies that um, people are working on getting better and developing new skills and everything else. So I was more than happy to have her joining for a podcast interview. Now she is at QBio. I will link it in the description she's the ceo of a new company and very interesting as well and the beginning of the week i send out a message or a mail to somebody i follow on youtube for a long time and he has like roughly 2 million subscribers to be precise 1.8 million doing documentaries about different topics and um, explaining very complex topics to everybody very easily in our very high quality content. And I did send out an email because he's from Australia and I was like, okay, I heard that you're in Europe. When, where would you be down for a podcast interview? And 30 minutes later, he said, yeah, I'm in Barcelona from 9th, uh, yeah, from 9th to 14th of August. So I flew there, I was in Ibiza before, and I flew in on the 10th, recorded the interview with Dagogo Altrade, and he is the founder and host of Cold Fusion TV. And we focused on the story, how he has built up Cold Fusion TV to 1.8 million subscribers over the last 10 years, how he's managing it. And it's very interesting because he's nearly a single person managing the whole thing and if you look into the quality of the content it's amazing and I have a lot of respect for him doing this alone with one or two people on the side that sometimes help out so yeah it's just an interesting thing how he thinks about the future what he's focusing on how he's built a youtube channel with such an audience and I'm more than happy to give you some insights right now with a short snippet with Dagogo from Cold Fusion TV. See you next week. And how did they play out where you thought, okay, I'm not sure if I will continue? 
Yeah, there's one particular moment that springs to mind, but I guess it was quite early on. So this is when I was doing my phone review still, like in the later stage of that. Um, I was, you know, I put a lot of effort into these videos and then I was seeing a lot of people that just, you know, single shot just did their thing and got like six times the views I did. And this was happening over and over again. And I, I was still living at home at the time and I remember going to my sister and being like, I, you know, I don't think this is going to work out. I put so much effort in and nothing really happens. And everyone else just kind of seems to point and shoot a camera and just get so much more like traction and, and growth. And then she just said to me, like, you know, you don't really see the end result of where this could go. Like, listen to the feedback that you're getting. Because at the time, people were telling me that this is unique and this is different and I'm really enjoying this. But I didn't see that. I just said, looked at the numbers and said, it's not happening I'm not I'm gonna give up so kind of listened to what she said and decided to keep going with it and keep toiling away and I guess it worked out in the end um, so yeah that's one moment that does spring to mind that I just thought throw in the t throw in the towel and give up